This episode is sponsored by the audiobook edition of The Christie Affair by Nina DeGormand, published by Macmillan Audio. This story is based on the real-life events of Agatha Christie, the popular and talented mystery writer. Agatha Christie woke up one morning in 1926, left her husband in bed, kissed her seven-year-old daughter, drove off in her car, and went missing without a trace. Christie was found 11 days later at a hotel where she was staying under the name of her husband's mistress. The real-life mystery writer had no memory of the 11 days, but the imagination of author Nina de Gourmont was sparked. She then wrote The Christie Affair, a tale of star-crossed lovers, heartbreak, revenge, and murder. The novel has received a starred review from Kirkus and Booklist and has been optioned by Miramax. So you're going to want to listen to this one before you watch it. And the audiobook is narrated by Lucy Scott, who appeared in the original BBC production of Pride and Prejudice, a real actress who nails this character. Get The Christie Affair on Audible, Libro FM, iTunes, Google Books, or wherever you get audiobooks. On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women, or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. Okay, so today we are so excited to be chatting again with Erica Katz. Erica is the author of The Boys Club, a native of New Jersey and a graduate of the University of Michigan and Columbia Law School. She works at a large law firm in New York City. We first spoke to Erica about her debut novel, and now we are thrilled to have the chance to talk with her about her sophomore novel, Fake. Welcome back to Pop Fiction Women, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back. I have to say, you are one of the few that we have had back for a second time. <laughs> Is that right? Yes. Oh, yes. A couple of them happen to be lawyers turned authors. I don't know. Maybe we have a little bias there. But uh, yes, Kimberly McCrate, Emily Giffen, you, and Tia Williams has been on twice. So why don't you start by telling our listeners a little bit about fake? Fake is my second book. It takes place in the art world and it follows our protagonist, Emma Khan, through her foray into life as a gallerist and all the fancy sex drugs and rock and roll trimmings that come with being in that world while simultaneously freelancing as a perfectly legal copier of some high-end art for a billionaire and she unwittingly becomes involved in a forgery scheme and it is about how she starts to analyze her own life as well as her life as an artist and the life of those around her the art world while grappling with this legal issue okay well emma has a lot of attributes we look for in a complicated woman she has secrets from a dark past she's damaged she suffers from night terrors and pyrophobia and has a healthy dose of both mommy and daddy issues. 
Tell us about your development of Emma, how you found her voice, what challenges you may have faced when writing her. So I did what I now realize because I had never done this, you know, before. Um, this is my second time doing this. And I now know my process is to way overwrite. And that is how I come to know my characters and find their voice. And I have come to not dislike that part of the process. Whereas when I wrote The Boys Club, I became paralyzed by not knowing the right words and not knowing what the characters would do in this situation. It took me a lot longer to start. Now I just put pen to paper, finger to keyboard, what have you, and write a ton that I know won't end up in the book. And that is how I find my characters, by seeing them react to situations behind the scenes that the reader never sees. I knew I wanted to write a very complicated, emotional character. And she's sharp and analytical and self-aware as well. And, and it was sort of in juxtaposition to Alex Vogel, the protagonist from The Boys Club, who was more of a vessel for me to talk about the world and the community. And I felt she was a little bit wide-eyed and passive, whereas Emma knows exactly what's going on and just opts to not confront some things until absolutely necessary. And I love her. I think she's great. And I think she's far more patient with the imperfection of people around her than I ever was. If I had a mother like hers, I would be estranged from her. So... <laughs> Um, and that's it. So if Emma is damaged, art is her therapy. You write in the novel, life is complicated. That's why we have art to help us make sense of it. As Corinne has heard me say many times, one of my favorite quotes about reading is from C.S. Lewis. And it's, we read so we know we're not alone. And that seems to be a theme that comes through in the end of, of your novel, Fake. And frankly, like I said, it's the reason we do this podcast, right? We talk about these books and TV shows and movies to help us make sense of being human. So we'd love to hear more about your thoughts on this and how this theme sort of resonates for you personally. I think there are certain lines in all of my books that are just me writing from mm -hmm. my own personal belief system. And this is one of those. The line was written right after I did this podcast almost a year ago, less than a year ago. You two and I were discussing therapy and I verbalized that I am much more a do a spin class, run it out on the West Side Highway, write a bunch of stuff down, girl. And I've tried therapy and I think it's amazing for people for whom it works. But I sort my thoughts best via the written word. And it is firmly my belief that I have found what works for me. Mm. And that is hit workouts and novels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I, it's not always conscious. In fact, oftentimes it's not. But when I go back and edit and I read the situations the characters are in or the reactions the characters are having, stuff from high school and college and friendship betrayals are in there, dealt with in a, a very emotional way. But, but I have grown and being able to process those thoughts and make sure that I understand where characters are coming from in not only the, shall we call her a victim's motivations, but also the 
antagonist and and who's the aggressor in a situation, being able to write from that perspective is my greatest form of therapy because I do write some really messed up characters. And I'm not saying I've had some very messed up life. In fact, like knock on wood, it's been quite charmed. But that doesn't mean that awful things haven't happened to me and people haven't done really messed up things to me. And being able to and I don't write the people. I write the situations or the yeah. reactions or the emotional content of those scenarios. And then you can just let it go, in my opinion. Yeah, it's illuminating. And and I think healing, too. I am the same as you. I am a... I remember you said that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I am a rigorous... For me, it's it's not hit, although I know I should try it. But it's a rigorous no, I'm, yeah, I'm asana. Joking. It's more running. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then Kate's the runner, but, but I am... But I'm all yeah. of these things. What does this say about me? Yes. You write it out, run it out, write it out, and therapy. So clearly, yeah. I don't know. I got to yeah. do all three, apparently, <laughs> <laughs> just to make it through the day. That's right. Whatever works is the message. Yes. Seriously. That's right. Well, as you clearly recall our conversation last time, we really geeked out on Alex and the big law setting, but it was just as fun to be in a new world with you, someone we trusted, someone we knew through that experience, you know, not as a personal, we have no personal connection before that, but your knowledge from big law obviously came from intimate experience, but how did you get into this art world? Did you do a lot of research? What's your connection um, why did you want to set fake there? Always been fascinated by the art world. One of my very dear friends was an art consultant at Christie's who recently switched jobs and went to an art publication. And through her eyes and through what is this young person's sensation of attending art fairs, which fully exists, I just became fascinated with the vast amounts of wealth that are thrown around and not thrown around and meticulously invested in. As I discuss in fake, there's a real market there that people understand that the layperson doesn't. And I think that anything, wine, art, music, anything that people are judging that is just a matter of taste, I'm always fascinated by. Where a market dictates price for something that is subject or intended to be subjective and therefore on a larger cultural scale makes it objective, right? This is good. This is bad. It doesn't matter that you don't connect with this. It it is wrong that you think a six-year-old could paint this. They couldn't, right? (laughs) And And I am fascinated by anything where huge amounts of wealth are spent as I was in the boys club. And I set out almost two years ago at this point, intending to personally research all of these fairs. I had tickets booked and plane fares and attendance tickets. And I ended up doing a ton of speaking to people in the world because of the pandemic. I was, most of these fairs were canceled and I wasn't flying anywhere anyway for those that weren't. And I, I consumed voraciously every documentary, every book on the subject. And so I read and interviewed, and that is how I became knowledgeable about the world. And it was far easier to write what I think is a really interesting foray into this art world, whereas I knew too much about Big Law. And (laughs) my editor was constantly like, 
it doesn't matter if this is true. It's boring. Just cut yeah. it out. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, no one's going to know that this can't happen. So just make it happen and skip a whole chapter. So that was not so much of a battle for me. I can, I'm sure there are inconsistencies in the book, but I think the bones of it are quite accurate. And obviously you take liberties when writing fiction, but the world is beautiful and also extremely dark. And I hope that comes across. And it was a great vehicle to discuss being fake in general, being fake in life, fake art, disingenuous, et cetera, market driven, all of that social media driven and the parallels and the, the symbioses were amazing. And so there you have the world I created. Yeah. And like we said, we were not familiar with it at all before. Like we were, of course, with Big Law and I felt immersed in it. So, so your research certainly paid off. And I know while this is not set in big law, you do start the novel and every chapter with transcripts of Emma, your protagonist, being interviewed by the FBI. And I couldn't help but note this small nod perhaps to your legal career. So I just was wondering about your decision to structure it that way. And did you always know you were going to weave that element in with the FBI interviews? So the boys club had a legal deposition peppered Mm -hmm. throughout that added a skeleton to the book. And it came after I wrote it. And I thought it, it framed what I was trying to accomplish in every chapter so well that I knew I wanted to do something of that nature. I think I will do that in all of my books. I'm writing my third and there is a dialogue that happens structuring every chapter. I did not know how an FBI investigation was conducted. So I had to read a lot about that. But I do think that it's really interesting to provide a ex post, a retrospective account, which is not always reliable, by the way, in both in both books of someone answering questions about the past and their past in particular. And I think it's a nice heads up to the reader what to look for And also a nice little game to spot where the person's lying to the authorities and both or stretching the truth to the authorities in every situation. So I sort of fell in love with that in in the first book. And I think I'll do it from here on out. That's exciting. I love it. Yeah, it adds a lot of richness and then also like potential red flags. What am I looking for here? What's really being uncovered and little bits at a time. I want to go back to Emma a little bit. In fake, her, I think one of the taglines is that Emma Khan is a fake. And that's her job. She paints exact replicas of priceless works of art, as you've already described. But she's also kind of living shades of a fake life. She's putting on a facade. And there was, it's different, but there was a little bit of that with Alex too, right? She was kind of getting caught up in her new life and in some ways was almost unrecognizable to her family and and people from home. What is it about this contradiction or distance between expectation and reality that interests you? And dare I suggest it's the duality of your your sun sign, but whatever. Good. (laughs) I'll let you answer. (laughs) Probably. I do think that Alex was falling in love with a new lifestyle. And Emma, it was never her money, right? It was never something she was being given it. And because she liked it so much, wasn't questioning it. Alex was like, maybe this is maybe this is the life I want. 
Emma sort of always knew that she was undeserving of the things she was being given. And none of the projections she made of extreme wealth were hers. In fact, when she got really wealthy, she, or when she came into money, she took care of her mother, which is an amazing thing that she did. Just thinking she'd get her feet on the ground eventually another way. But I don't think I'm going to go so far to say money corrupts, power corrupts, all of that. But I'm fascinated by how it changes people. And I'm more fascinated by the people whom it does not change. And I have those people in my life, but they are far less interesting to write about. (laughs) Right? There is nothing page turning about the really good person who goes home to their family after starting a very successful company that I post. Like, like, it's a great story. It's beautiful. It should be like a one hour documentary on CNN, what have you. But the people who, fall so far from good or moral baselines based on what's happening in the world around them are fascinating to me. And I live in New York City and I have a very regular life and I have some very wealthy friends. And I think I'm always just a bit wide-eyed about their life and some of their, not them, they are my friends, but they're the people adjacent to them, their behavior. And I don't, I don't actually fundamentally understand why some behavior is excusable if you have money, right? And why, like, I, I actually don't understand the logic. And I think I will continue to explore it always, like why different standards in society. And by the way, we saw this in the Me Too movement every single day, every hour of every day, why different standards of decency apply to some people. And there's no answer, which is probably why I write about it, because otherwise you're just spinning about it. But when you write about it, you sort of see why you think you're entitled when you're surrounded by it. And again, like it gives me peace to be like, yeah, I don't know. What if I won the lotto tomorrow and would I be different? It's a bit more passive and peaceful to think about it when I write about it. Yeah. I think that part of the justification, which is not the same as right and wrong, but part of the justification is that people want something from you, right? If you have money, if you have power, people are always wanting something from you. So it's like, you just feel like I can take more from them. I just recently listened to, I was just looking it up, a podcast, Brian Class, K-L-A-A-S. He's a political scientist who studies. He also would not go so far as to say that money or power corrupts, but he has spent his whole uh, PhD and and professional life investigating what does happen. Check him out. He's been doing, he has a new book out. He's been doing some podcast interviews and he's really interesting. He also really digs into what it's like causation or correlation. Do people who are likely to abuse power are those people that actually seek it out? And so the self is down. Yeah, Yeah, check it out. Some interesting stuff uh, that he talks about. It'll get your your mind really uh, going there. Yeah, and it right, and it doesn't always happen, which fascinates me even more. So, yeah, this this is going to be a through line. It sounds like for for all your novels. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And we've talked already a lot about some of the the similarities between the boys club and fake, or just I don't know that there's similarities, but you know things have already come out through this. And and 
I, I saw in your acknowledgments for fake that you wrote to everybody who reached out to say they saw bits of their own lives in the boys club. I wrote this for you. So we had a little chat, me and Corinne, about what exactly you meant there. So we're like, why don't we just ask her? <laughs> so I had some really interesting encounters after the boys club was published and the boys club was fiction. I am not that that is like the truth. and people were angry that I wrote them. People who I wouldn't even know enough to write them. People who thought I had heard rumors about them at work, their wives reached out, crazy, crazy stuff. And I was like, I didn't even know you had an affair. (laughs) You were like, this is your stuff. Yeah. Like (laughs) my head was buried in like a closing checklist my entire, you know what I mean? Like I, I didn't know that. Like I yeah. really, I did not know that you gave a blowjob in a stairwell. You are not this character. Like, oh I had no idea. Also, and do you think I you're just, the only person who's ever given a blowjob right, in a stairwell? Like, right. How self At work, there's only like five places. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't that you know that. <laughs> that you've thought about it. Does? Yeah. <laughs> so what my answer to them was, you know, it's fiction and I'm writing another one and it's sitting in the art world. And maybe you'll find solace in the fact that it, this next book has nothing to do with you. And it came from me and I can write fiction. You know what I mean? Mm, I so see. That's what I meant is Got like, it. that was always my answer is like, this is complete fiction. I'm doing it again. You won't see yourself in the next one or the next or one. You will. You will. It, right. Or you will. Right. And that has nothing to do with me. That's what I was going right. to say. Or you will, right. actually. Right. But again. Totally. And I just, it was so fascinating to me who people thought they were or who people thought other people were. And then again, speaking about a difference in reactions, who loved it and, and who lived it, but also was just like, this is great. My yeah. my male, male friends at work who were just like, this amazing, good for you, attended my book launch and they're partners at various institutions now. And they're completely unbothered by the, by the fiction of it, probably with like a wink and nod knowing that it happens, but not to them and they're not in it and go with God, write fiction. Yeah. What do they care? Yeah. 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 Wow, that is fascinating. Well, you gained a lot more people like Kate and I who never worked with you and didn't know your experiences. And yet you heard us gushing. If you haven't listened to our episode with you on the Boys Club, like <laughs> we are gushing like we have been there at that closing dinner at that. I mean, you could have taken my life, except you'd never met me. So right. that's just how right. universal what you were writing about was, in my opinion. And you know what's so interesting? The people who don't find the boys club as engrossing because it is so true to their life. Like, I think some people are fascinated by the world and a lot of people who really love me and did not want that to be true, found it difficult to read because they kept wondering because it was so accurate. If it was my life, like, yeah. Yeah. Right. And I mean, my fiance did M and a at Skadden for years and he likes fake better. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I get it. I could see that. Yeah. Right. I could see how that could be harder for someone connected to you. Like it's harder to read that. For us, it was like, thank you for putting me in your pages. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's yes. Exactly. So when we did speak with you, you were 
pre-launch for the Boys Club, you were, yes. yeah, it hadn't even come out yet. I think you had the idea for fake, but you hadn't sold it. So you were writing some of it. I think I had more than I let on because I was scared it wouldn't sell. Sure, of course. <laughs> Fair enough. Of course. Yeah. yeah. That's... I was like, I don't think I, I think, because I remember writing a few lines after we had spoken about it. And so I, I think I sold it pretty soon after. I think I remember that too. I think it was yeah. pretty soon after. Yeah. yeah. But so how are you sitting now here Right before your launch for the your second book, I you've already been alluding to your third book. How, does it feel really different? How does it feel different? Are there different pressures, different things that you know are easy? Okay, this will be taken care of. I already have an agent. I already have an editor. More collaboration. Tell us everything. <laughs> Interestingly enough, the process is feels the same. So unfortunately, I thought there was going to be a lot more in-person stuff. But so the process feels the same. So I, I thought there was way more pressure on fake. I felt every word I wrote, I wondered if the people who love the Boys Club would read it, read that particular word and be like, she sucks. Like, she can't, she couldn't do it again. I found that there was a lot more pressure on me for fake. I mean, self-imposed pressure on myself for fake. And the process in the most beautiful way is way less climactic. It's not anticlimactic. It's just, I've asked people, I've, I have a book to movie agent who is like shopping it around Hollywood and I'm getting calls on good reviews and not so good reviews. And I think it's really beautiful. Like, I hope this is my life. So I don't, I'm not upset that it's not quite as intensely exciting as the boys club. The greatest gift on earth would be that I'm 65 years old and I'm on my 20th novel and I'm just doing this with my eyes closed. So I'm not upset that it's not as exciting, but everything was so exciting the first time I did it. God, I love that. I can totally see though, as you're saying the pressure, but it's that you put on yourself for the second right. one. Cause you know, everyone always says the first one they're writing as they don't know whether anyone will ever see this. You can never replicate that kind of freedom. And, and that you know, fearlessness. Yeah. You're just typing away. Who knows what will ever happen to it. So, right. So we do like to ask authors this, you know, what what's your favorite part of writing? Like, what do you love about it? And separately, because it might not be the same thing, what's your favorite part of being an author? My favorite part of writing, because it just happened, is that hump I get over in my own process when I'm about 60 to 100 pages in up to writing, knowing now that almost none of the pages I just wrote will make it into the novel, but where I know my characters. And then the words come, because it's so hard to sit down, especially I, I still have another job. And so it's very easy to push off writing if I feel nothing brilliant is going to come out of me. Whereas I think sometimes I wish I had the pressure of this is all I have to do today. I wish I wish I could just sit down and make myself right. But there's always something else that I, I, I think that's true for everyone, though. But there's always something else to be done. And so before I feel fully comfortable in my characters, sometimes I procrastinate. But when you hit your stride and they start to become their own people and react in a way that 
feels very natural to you. You understand how this person would react to this situation and you know the world that that is my favorite part. It's a very exciting, exhilarating feeling. And I had it last night and th mm. that is, and Yay. it's amazing. Yeah. It just, I spent the whole weekend writing and it, and it clicked and I can't wait to sit down and start writing more. And I know myself, I'm pretty prolific at this point. Like it just, it comes. And so I'm really excited to start. My favorite part about being an author is saying that I'm an author. A hundred percent. Yeah. I just, it's like, I'm, and I, by the way, it's a party trick and I reserve it because unwaveringly, the conversation becomes about me for 20 minutes when I say that <laughs> with new people. So I don't always say it, but to say it and to say I have this book and my second one is coming out and I'm writing my third is just such an intense source of pride for me because I respect a lot of professions. Authors were always my aspirational profession. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. I just, right, had such creative envy for them, I just feel very lucky every day that I'm able to label myself among them. Oh, I love that answer. Yeah. And I want to, about the writing, you talked about it, but for Boys Club, you wrote a lot of Boys Club kind of in isolated chunks, like vacation time. And do you have a more steady practice now? Is someone looking for your pages on a certain date or do you have to, you can't rely on those bursts anymore or are you still doing that? So I wanted to not do that, but I think that's how I work best. You only have to, when I sold the boys club, I wrote the whole thing that that's how it works for first time authors. Unless, unless you're famous or have some insane following and they know your book, they want to know you can finish it. Cause I think finishing a book is really, really hard. So at first I didn't understand the logic of needing to finish your book the first time, but then you only, you can sell par, sell the book based on part of the manuscripts going forward. And I, but I fully believe that the logic is once they know you have it in you to finish a book, they're willing to invest in you sooner. And so I sold fake after writing sort of just under half of it. And it was a full out grind to write the second half until I just oh, gave wow. up being consistent and I started doing it in chunks again. Like I wrote the second half of fake in probably two 10 day chunks. And I'm not kidding. Like I just sat down and I busted it out because the little bits I was writing just weren't coming out. Right. And so I took vacation again, even though I'm working from home. So it's very interesting to take a vacation and be in the same spot. And I really missed going away. I sort of like fully understand the point of writer's retreats now to the point where I've even contemplated them. But I think I'm self-motivated enough where as long as I don't have my work phone buzzing or people coming in and out, I can sit and write, which is what I did this past weekend. So yes, yeah, so I'm still writing in chunks. I think I'm best that way. But at least you can, there's so much you can do on a daily basis to push a book along, which I still try to do. It might not mean I'm writing new chapters, but I'm definitely editing and cutting and changing and outlining. And so I try to do that more consistently. 
Kate, do you want to talk about astrology? Well, you know, we can't let you leave without doing that. So we already know that you're Gemini. We talked about that on the last interview. So I and just since have... speaking to you, I realized that I am a full out Gemini. <laughs> a full out. I Gemini. love it. I love it. Okay. Like, Yay. Like yeah. What have you learned since then? Then I'll ask my question. What do you mean? What what kind? So of... I think I mentioned that my knowledge, which was obviously extremely limited when we last spoke was Gemini's are two-faced. That's what someone told me in middle school. Mm-hmm. And I was, and I wasn't into it. So I was like, all right, I don't know. I don't think that's me, but the appreciation of tension and duality and the exploring of various paths is, is totally me. And I don't read about it every day, but it's fascinating to me that the Gemini description over the other descriptions Always, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I see it. I that duality yeah. definitely. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it, it makes, makes for sense. a good. So many of the writers and creators and authors and TV writers that we love are Gemini's. Yeah. So I really just want to know if my theory is correct that you named the company that Emma works for Gemini as a nod to your astrological sign. Please, please of course, please. it's not a coincidence. That's what I want to know. It's probably not a coincidence. I don't know that it was like a conscious nod. It was subconscious, yeah. Yeah. No, but it was a nod to Emma's duality, right? And her being stuck and therefore... Yeah, I don't need right. therapy. I just need to do this podcast every couple months because, yes, probably <laughs> that is exactly where it came from. Right. I okay. Right. All right. Good. That was the first thing I thought of. I'm not kidding. First thing I'm like, oh my God, Gemini. Of course it is. But so. also, like, the two faces, they're yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. And one is, yeah. Yes. And the truth versus the illusion. The whole, there's so many. And there's you working out that girl from middle school who called you two faced. Right. You're like, no. I can heal that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Let me give this character two faces and make her heal and come into one understanding of right. herself. Thank you. <laughs> it's my superpower. It's so good. So I talked about last time we talked to you, you were pre-launched for your first book, now your second book. We also know that something exciting has happened in your personal life. I don't know how much you want to share about that. or My dog turned two. <laughs> totally that no, your I, I got engaged that's yes. so exciting so congratulations great. thank you so much he's and the best a, a pandemic engagement a pandemic engagement and it was pretty lucky the timing because I think I'm busy and I love New York and I am always out there doing dating multiple dates lined up sorry I should be using past that yes <laughs> <laughs> but it forced me to slow down and I think we had this really beautiful whatever year-ish period where we just got to know each other at warp speed um we spent so much time together we were both home in each other's space and I remember like six months in worrying like we don't really know each other socially oh right But then things started to open up and life was pretty normal for a while. And we did things that were exceedingly normal. We traveled, we went to weddings, we hung out with each other's friends, we had dinner parties, blah, blah, blah. And I actually think, I mean, I loved him before that, but I fell so much more in love with him knowing how he was and how solid his, his crew and his community was. Yeah. And then we got engaged and I think I'm just so pensive 
that it probably would have taken me multiple years and years in a non-COVID situation to feel that I really knew someone enough to say forever and hope for forever with them. Because otherwise, like, there's so much noise. Yeah. Um, that That is also a Gemini thing. My husband's a Gemini. And he might say, I beat him in. I was like, come on. We got to. This is good. This is good. <laughs> Yes. No, that, that would have been me. <laughs> Tune that like, stuff out. Like, how do out. you know? Yeah. No, yeah, no, no. How, Don't worry. I know. Possibly... I know. Just come with me. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. Oh, I love that. But that's a positive of the pandemic then. Look at that. Totally. I never thought of totally. that. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the pandemic was so awful for literally millions of people. And I somehow made it out not only unscathed, but I think better for it. And I hope it ends for everyone soon, regardless. I love that. I love that. Speaking of love, what are you loving right now? Anything you've read or movies or TV shows? What what are you loving? So I just started Euphoria and it makes me never want to have kids. And I also think it's brilliant. And I cannot believe that it's probably not so far-fetched. Like, I I just constantly think about how messed up it is. When I'm doing other things, I think about it. I think it's brilliant. I watched Yellow Jackets. Oh, you did. I did. I thought it was very entertaining. I'm not sure I'm I'm geeking out about it the way other people are. I just dove into Black Cake. I'm only... 20 pages in and I think that it's going to be one of my favorite reads I've read in a long time. I've heard good things. Yeah. yeah, The words are, the words are brilliant. And one of the coolest parts about being an author, which is my second favorite thing about being an author behind telling people that I'm an author is getting galleys. Yes. You you guys must love that too. It's our favorite thing too. Yes. Right. And so I just dove into Cat St. John's new novel, The Vicious Circle. I will report back on that. It's so different from Black Cake that I actually think I'm going to read them based on my mood together. Together, I like doing yes, that. Yeah. I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can too. I used to not be able to do it, but if they're different enough from one another, I actually, I think it's great to be able to read them based on your mood. And I it think that's it. I think, I think that's that where I am. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. My do husband that. doesn't do it. I do do okay. it. It might just be a reading thing. Yeah. Miss Fixed I, Sign over here can't yeah, do that. Yes, Were you guys Bridgerton, not Bridgerton, Downton Abbey fans? No. So I never watched it. Oh. The Gilded no. Age. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't get past the first episode of The Gilded Age. I was like, why do some of them have an accent and some of them don't? (laughs) And what is this oversimplified portrayal of race happening? And I turned it off. I never, I think being someone who tries to create things, I am so overly generous generous with the time I devote to things because I know how hard it is. And I was like 15 minutes in, I was like, sorry, yeah, yeah. It's true. It is so hard to create things. But then also talking about the subjectivity that you were talking about earlier, it, I can't sometimes it's just not for me. Yeah. Really right. well done. Amazing. This, that and the other. I don't care. Sorry, I can't watch it. Oh, I recently had that with this movie that that is just supposed to be one of the best movies. It's like the shadow of the dog or something. The power did, of the dog. The power Jane of the Campion. dog. I fe- oh, did you love knows. it so no, much? No, no, no. Oh, I was like, Kate fell I asleep. I the fell movie asleep. ended. Yeah, I fell. My my fiance fell asleep twice. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's like, 
is this still happening? And I was like, yeah, like I got to pay attention because it's getting such good reviews Ugh. and it ended. And I was like, cool twist, but what just happened what just for the happened? rest of the movie? Yeah. And I then we read reviews and it explained it. And I was like, I don't want to have to be told why something's good. No. I just want to think it's good. It's good. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I was, I was disappointed because Jane Campion is Jane Campion. And I'm like, the oh, captain's the, yeah, exactly. I heard, heard Kirsten Dunst's character. Is this, I'm like, Nope, I fell asleep. I just yeah, yeah. It. it's totally. It's subjective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not for beautiful all of us. landscape though. Yes. It kind of made me want to go out west, but that that was my only positive that was about reaction. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I watched that right when we were obsessing over the Lost Daughter, Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut, and oh. we just couldn't. Then I was like, "What am I trying?" Nothing like, compares to that, <laughs> right? But I, like, so I. I like had to stop it, but I need to get back to it because I loved the like the first. I think I made it like forty five minutes in before I had to go to work. I actually yeah. stopped. I read. I watched it in two sittings. I kind of liked it that way. I mean, yeah. what is her name? Who was in the who Olivia the, in Coleman? the point? Oh, she's so good. She's so good. Exactly. So it couldn't compare to that. I, that was I watched them around the same time, and I was like, yeah, forget this. That's enough. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, what about book three? You're working on it. You're in the process of just unlocking your characters. Yes. So book three is set in a ER of a hospital oh. and focuses on two doctors. My, oh, I, I don't know that. if you're, my entire family, Your family is yes. doctors. Everybody yes. is. I remember that. And so okay. it's also, my sister works in an ER and it is just such a fun way to talk to her all the time and ask her a million questions and to learn about what everyone does and deals with on a daily basis. And by the way, one of the most therapeutic things I do when I write is I have completely skipped over COVID. It is not a thing in Good. any of my books. Oh, I write yeah. I write it out of existence and it's been wonderful. And so, but talking to my sister about what you do, it's so fascinating to hear you would do like this used to happen, but since COVID we wear this. So it's amazing how ERs have changed, but I'm still writing it out of existence. It is about two female ER doctors who are best friends and one of them commits suicide. And as her friend is sort of trying to piece together this awful and unexpected death, she realizes that perhaps it wasn't a suicide. And there is like a dark underbelly of what's happening at the hospital. Oh, man, you've hey. hooked us again. You've hooked <laughs> us again. Oh, she's going to be a three-peat. I'm I mean, so excited. just solidified that. <laughs> but it's so cool because she's going back through the patients on her last few days and the medicine behind it, I find fascinating. I think I think most people will, right? Because yeah. what was like, what's in the notes versus what she recalls happening and all that. Wow, that's exciting. <laughs> okay, can't wait for that one to come <laughs> in my mailbox. I'm always like ripping open packages. I'm like, what is this? I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm like, oh, yeah. this, oh, this one. Yeah. I know, and this stacks of books. I need to figure out what to do with them yeah. in Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a problem. Especially the ones you don't want to part with, uh -huh. right? Like, there's some that are, like you want that in your stack and then that, that pile is just getting so big for me. Yeah. You can't, I mean, Corinne, as you can see her bookcases behind her. I mean, there, there's, I know. A lot, there's a lot. <laughs> Stacks. There Stacks. are they color coordinated or is that just a lot of blue? No, there's a lot. There's some of them are, but some most of them are not. I don't do. It's very it's, I do shades. 
Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> she does shades. So do oh, professional blue. designers. No, no. I do color coding because no. I am super anal. I, I went to a house at the beach of one of my fiance's friends who I hope doesn't listen to this podcast, but he had like all white books. And I was like, did you rebuy these? And he's like, I don't even know what they are. They're just no, they're oh. decorator balls. Right. Yeah. And yes. I was like, that's what they do. I was so confused by the entire concept. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was cool when I thought he rebound them. It seemed like right. excessive, but cool. Yeah. But <laughs> right. I did have a decorator in my house once, but she, I have so many books that she just went around and grabbed. <laughs> so they are my own books, but she, did color code right. them that way and put but I'm that's like, oh, beautiful. But those are I mine, think that's amazing. Right. That's why I was very impressed by current. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's good. No, but that's the one. It's really the one that you get to see the most has the most blue. <laughs> and then I also have a black one. You can see it right there. It's like secret history, gone girl, a whole bunch of black ones. And then I the think, rest. Does fake have a black spine? It might. I have mine. I think on, it does. Not on mine. Just because. Oh. I think I think this is black and this is black in oh. a real copy. Oh, but I haven't seen it. Put it. That's, an, that's another thing. Like they were like, how many copies do you want? I was like, how many of the boys club did I get? They were like 30. I it's like I want three. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Why did I get thirty books? Like, meanwhile, I I want to encourage everyone to buy it. I'm not just right. like handing out, handing it out to book people. on the street corner. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. So Erica, tell people where they can yes. find you. Are you on Instagram or? What? I am on Instagram, Erica A Cats, and I have a website, EricaCatsBooks.com, and it has all my contact information and. Exciting events. Yes, and- exciting events, all of that. I post a lot on Instagram because I find it easier than navigating a website, which at some point I should hire someone to do some someone to do it for me. But I do post all of the upcoming stuff. And you can find fake on Amazon, but I'd encourage you to go to your local bookstore. I promise you it's more fun than clicking a button. Oh, definitely. Right? And um, I love that experience. Yeah. Yes. And they are also in Barnes and Noble and all of that. But check out your local bookstore. If they don't carry it, they'll order it for you. Tell them to order two for someone else. Yes. yes exactly. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. That We love having yeah. you. I love being here. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at popfictionwomen.com or on Twitter at pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love, or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.